welcome to the monthly Skill Bites show, where we share information that is geared to helping you succeed in your business. This is Judy Weintraub, CEO of Skill Bites and host of this show. If you want to position yourself as an expert, one of the best ways to do that is to become a published author. Skill Bites author platform provides the easiest way to get a book written and published. Today, I am delighted to have with us Chuck Cullen. He is the CEO of the Training Resource Group, and he's the co-author of Nobody Ever Told Me I'd Have to Sell. Chuck brings more than 40 years of sales, sales management, and corporate executive experience to the table. He has managed numerous sales forces, directed various marketing campaigns, and was president of a Fortune 500 company division. Chuck is here today to talk to us about how to hire the right salesperson for your organization. Welcome, Chuck. Judy, thank you very much for having me. Well, we are so glad to have you with us today. You know, it takes a lot of time, and it can be quite costly, to go through the process of hiring a salesperson. So it's really important to do it right as best you can the first time instead of waiting until you find out that the person doesn't work out. I know for a lot of small businesses, it's probably the most frustrating position to hire for because salespeople are so good at selling themselves. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your tips on how to hire the right person. Where do you even begin? What should you do first? Well, um, I think the first thing to do is write a very specific job description of exactly what your expectations are, what the position entails. Uh, you need to have a compensation plan in mind. Uh, our suggestion for most companies is uh, salespeople are, as you mentioned, very good at selling themselves. So consequently, uh, in most cases, they will ask for a lot of money up front. Uh, what we have found with the best salespeople that uh, understanding a compensation plan that revolves around performance so that you're not paying for something you're not getting. So that typically means um, a low base salary and a high back end, which is typically uh, commissioner incentive based where uh, they get paid based off performance and you need to understand what your margins are so that you're making money on every transaction, whether it's a small or large transaction. But if you understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish, how much money you can make on each transaction, and what your margins allow you to pay a really good salesperson, um, you need to have some clear objective in mind before you even start looking. And then when you start looking, understand that skill set tends to be more important than industry experience. So uh, over the years, what we've seen, it's the quality of the individual and what they bring to the table. Um, more than um, hiring somebody with 20 years of experience in your industry, uh, because that could be 20 years of bad experience. And if they were really that good and that successful, why would they be looking for a new position? So we really need to start with the skill sets in mind, um, sort of like skill bites. Right. Can I back up a sec on your compensation issue? When you say to start with a low base and then high commission, can you give us a, a feel for what is the range of a low base and what's the range of an appropriate commission? Sure. Um, let me give you an example. Um, we have we work with a number of companies uh, in the IT world, and. Um, uh, people are familiar with names like Microsoft and, and IBM and, um, you know, many of those types of companies, and they automatically think they take it uh, because a lot of those people will have a six-figure starting base. Well, that, that's based on a number of years of experience. What we would rather do is have a base of, and again, uh, we have ranges of 40000 to $65,000 as a start. Uh, but then the commission base is based off the margins. So typically, uh, the higher the margin on the product or service you're, start, you're selling, the higher the commission rate. 
So anybody can sell if it's a really low-priced item. You're just selling on price. What you really want to do is reward people that sell on the basis of you as the employer make more money. Uh, so a commission rate based off uh, the size of the sale could be uh, anywhere from 5% to 20%. Uh, what you really want to do is case studies for yourself to see if somebody uh, makes sales, how much they could make. Uh, you want to base that on past history of the company, what they've done on the past. What we see many times is folks have unrealistic expectations, and they tell people that they can make $200,000 when, in fact, nobody in the company's history has ever sold enough to, to make that much money on the back end. So they need to have a realistic idea of what somebody could make. They need to have a history of what's been done in the past. And then they want to understand what the skill sets are um, of the person they're hiring. Um, right. Whether they're working off an existing account base or whether they're asked to create new accounts. And sometimes we can incentivize folks to bring in new business as opposed to just doing uh, existing repeat business. And sometimes the commission rate could be higher on a new account than it is on an older, more established account. Right. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So you mentioned um, how the skill set is more important than subject matter expertise or experience in a particular industry. What types of skills should someone look for? Well, I think even before skills, uh, you need to have the right, I'm going to use the term makeup. So, um, what we want to do is, if I'm looking for one um, feature that I'm looking for in a, a person, it would be what I call ambition and drive. I want somebody that, um, we used to use the term work ethic. Uh, so I want somebody that's going to do whatever it takes, is fully committed to make sure they're successful in their new position. So uh, I need to understand before I hire them, what they think their day is going to look like, um, how many calls they expect to make in a day. Uh, if they're going to be making cold calls, I need to understand that. Uh, and in fact, before I hire somebody that tells me that they're used to making cold calls, I probably need to physically watch them do it because invariably we talk about salespeople talking good game. I have people, salespeople that tell us that they love making phone cold calls. But when they actually get on the phone, they're terrible or they have call reluctance. So I need somebody that is willing to move out of their comfort zone and do whatever it takes. And they need to have instinctively that ambition and drive to do that. Um, they need to have a positive outlook. I can't have somebody say, well, I'm not sure whether I can do that and give you 16 excuses before they even start. Um, so I need somebody that can plan out their day has some idea of exactly what it may, needs to uh, be successful. And I need somebody that's not afraid of rejection uh, because salespeople tend to get rejected on a regular basis. And if they take it personally, um, they're probably not going to do very well. Uh, the other thing I need to have, um, when we talk about skill sets, I need somebody that has the ability to get along with people. Typically, salespeople do not sell in a vacuum, they sell to other people. Um, and we have three basic rules of business development. Number one, it's who you know and not what you have. So certainly past relationships are helpful, uh, but they can be past personal relationships and uh, your own personal brand. Uh, we say that people like to work with people they like. So I would ideally like to hire somebody that I instinctively like. And people like to work with people like themselves, so I need somebody that can relate to other people easily. So they really need to have the ability to create relationships. Because the other thing in a sales culture, in a small business organization, you're really building on relationships and trust, and you need to hire somebody that has the ability to do that. And um, while they don't necessarily have to be extroverted, they do need to be able to relate to people. That makes sense. Um, I would like them to have some sort of system as to 
how they're going to, we would call it a cookbook or recipe for success. Uh, I want to know in an eight to 10 hour day what that day looks like and that they're not just going to sit back and wait for things to come to them, but they're going to be proactive. Um, I need to know that they're going to make X amount of contacts per day. And whether that's new contacts or existing contacts, I need to make sure, again, going back to ambition and drive, uh, that they're going to have the correct behavior to be successful. Okay. Now, I know that there's a lot of assessment tools out there that can be helpful. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what are some of the tools and what are some of the ones that you recommend? So um, we use several. Uh, number one, there is uh, what we call a sales skill assessment. Uh, one of the ones that we use is um, out of Cincinnati. It's called the Divine Inventory. Uh, the reason that we like that is that um, it does several things. Number one, it allows us to customize what the company's priorities are. Uh, it gives us roughly 33 criteria that we're looking for, which is whether they're able to problem solve, whether they're process oriented, whether they accept rules and directions, uh, whether in fact they're going to accept the responsibility. Um, we mentioned relationship focus. Uh, number two, it tells us why they are able to score the way they are, uh, which is, you know, um, do they well do well with conflict management? Uh, are they empathetic? Um, are they decisive? Do they take initiative? How intense are they when they go about this? Are they assertive? So it tells us the why behind the answers. But what we really like best is the fact that it gives us uh, ways for them to develop the skills. It will give them on each area books to read to get better, exercise to do. So instead of what I call a horoscope, which gives us a general assessment, it really drills down into how they, in fact, can improve their skill sets across the board. Um, there are other good assessments. There's uh, one that's uh, Caliper, which is out of Princeton, New Jersey, which does similar things. We'll give you interview questions to ask. Uh, there's another one out of uh, Boston called Objective Management. Now, all three of these are specific for sales. Um, there are other style-type things. There's a DISC is relatively well-known, an extended DISC. That tells us about the style and how compatible we are. Um, but here's one of the things that we found with salespeople specifically. Um, they can be off kilter a little bit, not necessarily totally sane. That does not restrict them from being uh, successful salespeople. So I need to understand that um, style gives me an idea of how they communicate and whether they'll fit into the environment. But it really doesn't tell me uh, whether they can generate revenue or not. So I need to be careful as to which assessments I use and how I use them. Um, but there are three or four tools out there that will give you quick response. Uh, generally, we like to respond to our clients uh, within three or four hours. Uh, we like to give them interview questions to ask, uh, and we need to make sure that uh, it's a good fit. Uh, we need to uh, have the folks chat over the phone and maybe even screen them before they even do an assessment, before they bring them in for an interview. Because I, I need to, uh, as you mentioned before, Salespeople tend to be best at selling themselves, uh, so I need them to give me specific references of people who can talk to their ability, and preferably somebody that's not their brother-in-law. Right. So you actually do the you, you do a phone call and some some level of due diligence before you even get to the assessment. We do. Um, assessments are inexpensive, but the cost of hiring the wrong person can be astronomical. Um, number one, the ramp up time to get them up to speed. And then number two, if they don't do a good job, um, they can damage your reputation to say nothing of cost you the money that you paid to hire them. 
um, and then the ramp-up time once they leave. So uh, generally hiring a salesperson is not a quick and easy process. Uh, finding the right person, and again, generally um, inexpensive ways, uh, you can certainly uh, do the monsters and, and all of those kinds of things online. Um, but again, personal references are helpful. I need to talk to people that um, have salespeople they're really happy with. Uh, and I need to be able to, uh, I guess, screen as much as possible uh, before we hire somebody. So, in terms of where do you look, obviously, if you have somebody who knows a really good person, that's a great resource. But for a lot of people, they they don't have that personal reference. There are so many different engines out there. Which are the ones that you recommend for finding salespeople? Uh, so generally, uh, the basics are still good, um, which be monster, but probably the one that most people have access to um, are their own LinkedIn sites. Uh, what we do for a number of our clients locally, rather than charge them, is we'll post uh, an opening on LinkedIn. Uh, and we'll have it sent out through the networks. And probably more than half the time, uh, we will get um, decent responses to that. The other thing that we recommend to folks is if you know who your competition is uh, and who some of the people are that are using your competition, I basically call up those end users and say, geez, if you were going to recommend somebody I should be talking to or that you really like, who would that be? Uh, because often I will find that even if that person they recommend isn't interested, they typically know one or two people that might be. Um, they're almost always flattered. Um, and the one thing about salespeople, uh, especially now as opposed to 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago it would not be unusual for a salesperson to stay in a position for a number of years, uh, 8 to 10 years. I think the last statistic I saw uh, for sales overall that the average length of somebody's employment is 2.2 years, uh, really? which is down hard. considerably. Um, and again, think of the expense of that. Um, one of the issues that we have on the opposite end is uh, we run into sales forces that now are baby boomer age, that they're in their 60s, and uh, they haven't brought anybody behind those people. And uh, number one, most of those people haven't brought in a new client in a long time, so the sales are stagnant. But then there's no fresh blood behind them. Um, so especially in the manufacturing space, we find that there's not a lot of new blood in that space and that it tends to be uh, what we'll kindly call a more experienced sales force. Wow. Why do you think it's such a short um, tenure. You said 2.2 years, 2.3 years? 2.2 year, years. Uh, it's because 80% um, of the salespeople really aren't very good. And what happens is it takes about two years for an employer to figure out that they didn't have the right fit to begin with. So the turnover is typically high. Whatever industry we go into, uh, whether it's uh, you know, anything that's IT-related, anything that's startup-related, uh, the turnover tends to be very high. Uh, we work in financial services. Again, the turnover is very high, um, whether it's insurances, even things of financial planning, et cetera. We find that the turnover is very high. Salespeople are really hard. if you see somebody who's worked in a lot of different places, then it's probably you need to ask why. not a good, good fit. So one of the, we talked about screening calls uh, before we get started. So a question when you see a resume today, which is pretty normal, where somebody's had three or four jobs over the last 10 years, you need to be real specific and ask them why they left each position. And if it starts to sound like you 
excuse making, you may want to ask yourself, do I even really want to take the time to either assess or interview this person? Because um, we talked about taking responsibility. My concern is somebody that it's always somebody else's fault, never theirs. What so, other questions do you recommend in the screening? Again, we talked about asking them what their average day looks like. I want to know why they left previous jobs. I want to know what their plan is. One of the things that most employers don't ask is, gee, Judy, let's pretend that you're here a year from now, three years from now. How do you see your position evolving? Where do you want to be three years from now? Most salespeople tend to think in the immediate and how much money can I make, how quickly. Um, and if I'm looking to hire the right person, um, I would prefer that they thought about a career with my company rather than just a quick paycheck. Um, and if they want the higher base, we remember we talked about compensation. I want to know why they want the higher base and why they're not confident in their ability to go out and sell on the back end. Uh, and again, that's a huge expense for uh, companies when they think they have to pay good salespeople a lot of money up front. Right. Although I would imagine that there's a, a sales cycle that comes into play. And if they think that it takes at least um, six to nine months, then during that time frame, they'd probably want a higher base. Not so that's a great point. And um, some industries we work with um, can have as long as a two-year uh, sales cycle, uh, while others might be much quicker. So what I'm always looking at is uh, what we call pipeline. So pipeline means qualified folks that we've had an appointment with, and we use uh, baseball terms to figure out where we are in that uh, pipeline selling cycle. So first base generally means they've had a meaningful appointment. Uh, second base means that there is some interest uh, and that we may be asked to make a proposal and we've taken the next step. Uh, third base is we've now made that proposal. We've asked the question before we made it. Let's pretend this proposal is absolutely perfect. The pricing's right. The scope of the work we're going to do is exactly what you're looking for would we get the business, and assuming that we got the right answer to that question, we're at third base, and then we're just waiting for them to um, accept the proposal and move forward. I need to have an ongoing pipeline report. That's why we have CRMs, et cetera. Um, what I don't need from a salesperson, which we see all the time, is what I call a weather report, which means, oh, it's a great appointment. It looks good. That doesn't tell me a whole lot, and I can't really plan my expenses or production based off it looks good. I need to have very specific next steps as to where we are in the actual sales process. And again, when we hire somebody, and a question you asked me before is, what are some questions you can ask somebody before you hire them? One of the questions you might want to ask is, would you mind sharing with me what your sales process looks like? Because most salespeople have one of two processes. Either they wing it or they fly by the seat of their pants. And if I'm going to hire somebody, I'd like to know that, and I'm not sure you're familiar with ISO 9000, 9001, but that's all about process. If I'm hiring somebody, I want to make sure that they have a process that's step one to step two when it comes to sales because that's no different than anything else. It's all about systems. Uh, does that make sense? That does make sense. Yep, because if you have to create the action steps each time, that's pretty inefficient. Well, and that's what happens, unfortunately, with a lot of salespeople. Again, that's why we'd like to screen them uh, on the phone uh, before we actually move through the process, because if we understand that four out of five probably aren't going to be exactly what we're looking for, we need to be extremely selective because, again, that mistake is very expensive and very time-consuming. Okay. Let's suppose you've you've gone through the screening, you've done an assessment, you have a candidate who looks quite promising 
you go ahead, make them an offer, they accept. There must be some things you can do to make an evaluation short of 2.2 years as to whether the person's truly going to work out. Do you have some suggestions on that? Yeah. Um, generally, our process would suggest that um, within 90 days, you'll know uh, whether you have the right person or not. Uh, we have a term we call benchmarking deadlines, which are what you expect the person to do. And understand that uh, new job, new industry might take you um, a little time to get up to speed. What it shouldn't take you a lot of time to do is start uh, doing the process as far as sales is concerned, starting to make appointments. Uh, generally, um, most good companies will have what we call an onboarding process, which is how they learn the industry, um, you know, whether it's uh, manuals, whether it's online training, uh, but having um, understood that they need to be up to speed. But it's about the behavior. Remember where I, I talked about ambition and drive? Uh, yes. I'm going to know in the first couple of weeks how committed they are. I can see what time they come in. I can see what time they leave. I can see what they're doing during the day. Hopefully, they're being monitored by management, so um, somebody can tell how that's going to work. So as a rule of thumb, not in all cases, but in most cases, you frankly um, should know in 90 days whether you have the right person simply from the way they go about their business. So, no, yeah, it should take you two years. Most people are pretty good at, at being diligent for 90 days. It's all about habits. So um, most salespeople um, are what we call short-term thinkers. So uh, they might be able to fake it for 30 days. If they fake it for 90, that means they probably have the right processes down and they know what to do. Now, they may have buttons that need to be pushed, but if I see in 90 days that they have the right stuff, um, I may need to figure out how to motivate them. But if they can do it for 90 days, they can do it going forward. Uh, the ones that you need to watch out for are the ones that are good in that first 30, and then you see, start to see the drop-off. Uh, but 90 days is generally, if they do it for 90 days, they should be able to do it continuously. Okay. <clears throat> I guess that makes sense. And then after that, you would continue to have some set of, measures or goals or right. whatever. So, benchmarks at deadlines is, uh, number one, I need to have written goals on a regular basis. Uh, and I need to let them know exactly what those expectations are for 90 days. Um, and then probably um, I would start in the beginning micromanaging every 30-day um, cycles uh, and then move to quarterly. Uh, but if I have somebody that has a terrible month, that can kill a quarter. If I've got two bad quarters, it could kill a year. So I need to make sure that um, they know how many calls they need to be making. They know how many things need to be in the pipeline. Again, every selling cycle is different for different industries. But I need to know, again, history, what my norm is, what other people have done uh, and if I, as an owner, have done it before, then what my history has done. Now, if I've not done it successfully, I, I need to understand what successful behavior might be. We have lots of owners that are uh, good owners, just not good salespeople. Right. There's probably, that's probably the case with most owners. They have the, the technical background, but not the sales or marketing background. So... And they, again, they need to understand from a financial aspect what's going to make sense. Uh, and they need to understand the process so that um, I might even recommend uh, that initially, um, from a technical aspect, somebody should be going out with these people in the beginning anyway uh, to monitor them, make sure that they're sending the right message, and actually watch them in the field to make sure they're representing your company the way you want it represented. Um, one of the other things that we've seen uh, is uh, 
somebody will show up in an interview. Uh, we, again, we just had this situation a couple weeks ago. So we had a salesperson that was hired working remotely. Uh, they showed up for the interview in person in a coat and tie. Great appearance. Um, and then um, I mentioned 90 days. In about 30 days, uh, the initial behavior was pretty good, and then it looked like it slipped. Um, so at our suggestion, uh, the owner showed up um, in the territory and uh, called the person at that meeting and said, look, I'm going to meet you, you know, and want to go out and some of the calls for you. And that gentleman that showed up in a coat and tie uh, was going to go out and do his appointment in uh, a T-shirt, literally. Huh. Even knowing that the owner was going to be Well, there. he didn't know the owner was going to get there till that morning. Uh, because the owner had asked for the appointment in advance, uh, which the salesperson said in, not realized the owner was going to be there. The owner showed up and surprised. Um, so, again, that's one of the challenges in having remote salespeople, that you need to make sure they're representing you the way that you would like to be represented. Right. Now, some of the other, um, some of the By the way, that gentleman did not survive the day. <laughs> I can imagine why. <laughs> so you have uh, you want to set up certain metrics to make sure that somebody's on track uh, toward getting to your your goals. You have number of calls. What are some of the other metrics that somebody ought to put in place? So, all right. So normally, uh, let's talk about. Uh, you want your person to prospect. So if their prospecting behavior revolves around uh, cold calling, uh, they're new, they need to open up no accounts, so that we know a reasonable number of phone calls if they're not servicing or doing other things, is between 100 to 150 a day. Why? Uh, because we know that um, you're only going to get a 20. You're only going to get through to 20% of the people you dial. So if you make 100 dials, which takes you say a minute a dial, you're only going to get through to 20% of them. Uh, so if we understand that you're only going to get through 20%, then the next metric we want to look at is with those dials, how many appointments did we make? Um, so again, one of the things that we do for our people to make it a little more fun and we talked about rejection, is we want them to have a no goal. We want them to have conversations and get 10 to 15 no's where we have people that they actually have conversations that tell them no every day, but they'll actually end up getting two or three people that say, yes, we'll make an appointment uh, as they're making those calls. We need to make sure as an owner that their uh, initial opening phone call uh, if you want to call it a 30-second commercial or elevator pitch, is one that differentiates them from the competition, which is we want our people to be viewed as problem solvers, not selling a product or a service, but helping companies. So, again, we want to take the myth of the traditional salesperson getting somebody that say no seven times before they say yes, and we want to take that out of the equation and have um, everybody realize that the people that you hire are problem solvers. Uh, what they want to do is help you with your problems, and if they can't help you with your problem, maybe they can direct you to somebody that can. It's about trust and relationships and understanding that you should be, we use the term help agent when you're making these phone calls. Uh, we want them to, if they're working uh, with competitors, to you know, say, look, here's what we're doing for competitors. I'm not quite sure it makes sense to, we should help you with any of those type issues. And understand what the three or four biggest problems are of anybody you're calling. Um, and again, act more as somebody who's there to help solve problems than to sell something. Um, that was great 40 years ago. It's a different environment today. Um, I want to know, uh, years ago when we used to make phone calls, people say, well, send me information. Today, everybody has a laptop at their desk. You need to be able to pull up the information 
have them pull up uh, the information on the laptop so they can go through your website while you're on the phone with them and understand as well how you can help them with those problems uh, while you're both on the site together. So those kinds of things, a little more subtle than it was years ago. Yeah, and hopefully a little bit easier. Well, I'm going to use another word that may not sound like it, it fits. Um, I want a salesperson that, as they're working with me, is actually going to have some fun doing this and understands that they're there to help people and it should be fun to be able to help people and understand that even if four out of five say no, uh, you're able to help that one get to that next level. Um, and that's really what we want to do. Um, and then as time goes on, um, understand that that's how we do, do new business is through referrals and, you know, getting uh, the fact out there that we're there to help. Okay. That makes sense. So we look at the number of calls they're making, how they're making the calls, how many no's they're getting, how many appointments they're making. Then well I need to look at closing ratio. Once they have the appointments, what percentage of the people they're in front of are they closing? Um, and again, that's how we measure pipeline, understanding that um, some businesses are a one-call close. I have some more complex sales. Uh, we work with um, an international consulting firm. Um, and it literally can take them two years to close an account, understanding that their average sale is a little over a million dollars. And that typically, as a rule of thumb, not always, but typically the larger the transaction, the longer it takes to close. Right. Although sometimes the low dollar value transactions still take a long time to close. Well, and you just mentioned the word, what I really want to do is I want to take the transaction out of it. I need them to understand what I'm doing is not transactional. So we say that people buy emotionally, not intellectually. So I need to have them to understand uh, what we call the WIIFM, which is the world's most listened to radio station, what's in it for me. And we have to have the salesperson uh with what we call a discovery situation, rather than try and convince somebody to do a transaction, we want the uh, customer to discover for themselves that this makes sense, and we want to create a relationship that's going to lead to recurring revenue um, on a long-term basis. Which is a lot easier than getting new customers. It's, uh, you know, um, the other thing that we, you know, talk about in selling is cross-selling and things of that nature. Um, many companies have more than one service or product that they can provide for a company. Um, and it's roughly 13 times less expensive to do additional business with an existing customer than it is to go out and find a new one. So uh, we really want to grow that base and understand that, um we're really planting seeds and uh, farming uh, with every client that we bring in because uh, we can really um, reap the rewards of that over time and bringing in more business and, frankly, ha having them understand that we can help them in multiple ways. Right. And actually, it's not even just the, the customers you're planting seeds with. Every phone call. Every contact you make. And that's why we don't want to be salesy, and that's why we don't want to be the traditional, aggressive person. We need to be somebody who is viewed as, um, as a resource, uh, as opposed to a salesperson, that you should be willing to help them with other issues outside of yours. Um, again, create strategic alliances, create relationships, and show people how you and your company can help them in other ways aside from, quote-unquote, what you're trying to sell them. Okay. So it's, it's about taking all of this to another level. Uh, hence the book 
we wrote. Nobody ever told me how to sell. Um, a lot of the folks that we work with um, never thought that they'd have to sell something. Uh, any professional service firm, uh, whether it's an engineer, uh, whether it's an attorney, whether it's an accountant, if you ask them whether they ever thought they were going to have to sell anything, they'd look at you like you had a third head. Uh, yeah, because they never here. thought they'd have to do it. Right. If you've started your own business, you can't help but know that you're going to need to sell. Well, it's kind of interesting because we work with um, several startups, and they're all technically brilliant. Um, but when it comes to generating the revenue, and we ask the question, well, how are you going to bring in business? We get what I call that deer in the headlights look. They're so interested in the technical aspect, it was a wonder of what they're doing. In many cases, they really haven't thought about the revenue aspect. Um, we work with a lot of very smart people that when it comes to business and generating the revenue and making money, um, they're really not nearly as smart in that end as they were in creating their product or service. So in your book, do you explain how they can be the salesperson, or are you recommending that they seek a salesperson? Um, no, we're letting them know, trying to give them a process where they can literally help themselves. Um, and we tell lots of stories in the book rather than... We, we want to give them a, a, a bit of a process, but we also need them to understand that as they're using this process... Um, that there were many before them uh, that didn't have any idea of how they were supposed to do this either, um, and that um, it can actually be fun. And those people, we have some people that are, how can I put this, extremely introverted, or as we say, good with everybody but people. <laughs> and yet they can be very effective at bringing in business uh, because they can solve problems. And just having people discover that they can solve problems, um, oftentimes that's what people are looking for. Um, so we, we have a saying, you probably have heard the saying that uh, salespeople can talk themselves out of sales. Have you heard that before? I haven't heard that one, no. So a lot of times people will say, well, the salesman talked me out of it. I, I was going to do it, but the guy talked so much that you know, I just wasn't uh, interested anymore. I understand. Mm -hmm. But you probably never heard of someone listing themselves out of a sale. So no. our philosophy is you need to be listing 70% of the time uh, and only talking 30% uh, because that's how you help your clients and prospects more is by understanding exactly what their issues are instead of telling them what they need. What are the other some of the other um, tips or steps in the process that you share in your book? So, um, number one, um, you know, what we call bonding rapport, which is you really need to break down that wall in the first five minutes. So we need to find some common ground. Um, it's one of the ways that we find LinkedIn to be very effective is that you can, in fact, do research on the folks before you sit down Find out who you know in common, uh, what things you have in common. It might be nonprofits. It might be interests to break down that wall. And then we need to make sure that we have an agenda for the meeting. Um, so many times people will tell me, well, it was a great meeting and then nothing happened. But we need to understand that in that meeting, if we set up a time agenda, we understand it's going to be an hour, that we let them know that they can ask any question that they'd like to ask that you might ask, have to ask a question or two to make sure you understand what they're looking for and that they understand it's okay for them to tell you that they're not interested, that you're not going to be insulted or upset, and this is not going to be a traditional sales call where you're going to pressure them. But if, in fact, they are interested in what you're doing at the end of the meeting, just tell you what the next steps are. So what you don't want to hear in that initial meeting is, I'll get back to you, let me think it over. Um you want to have a clear understanding of what the, the process, their process, looks like so you can follow up appropriately um, and not go into what we call Death Valley, which is 
that person that was eager to get all your free consulting is now not responding to your calls, emails, et cetera. Right. Um, and we need to make sure that uh, the appointment's all about them, not what you think you can do for them, but what they're indeed, indeed looking for. Um, we need to make sure that uh, they have a budget for uh, what you're providing, um, that you understand what the decision process looks like, and understand that they need to qualify for you to make any kind of presentation and that you can't walk in like um, I was taught a long time ago. My initial um, comment in a meeting was, let me tell you how I can help you, and then go into a PowerPoint or a presentation. Now it's, let's make sure that this is a good fit. And um, at that point, I'll determine whether I need to make a presentation, and it will be only to what you're looking for and not to all my, what we used to call features and benefits, because it's all about them and what they're looking for, not about what you think you can do for them. Exactly, because they're going to tune it out unless you're going to talk about what their needs are. Again, the meeting needs to be all about them, not about you. And again, for a lot of the traditional salespeople, they can't get away from the word I. Uh, anything else that you want to share with us? Maybe um, give us your contact information in case anybody would like to get in touch with you. Sure. So um, it's easy to contact us. Uh, our website is trainingresourcegroup.com. Um, so there's all sorts of uh, video, third-party stories, from our clients and things of that nature. Um, like to offer, we're part of an international uh, network called Sandler. If anybody would like to sit in a two-hour uh, workshop, uh, a free one, uh, just contact us. We'll put you in touch with your local person, no matter where you are, to have you be able to sit in a workshop. And uh, if you have any questions about assessments or anything else. It doesn't have to be something that we do, but the fact that you listen to that sh the show means that, number one, you have good taste, uh, but number two, uh, that we want to provide some information, and uh, it would be, in fact, because Judy's had us on some, some free consulting to see if we can help you address some of the issues and maybe direct you uh, in the right spot, uh, because that's what the show is all about. Excellent. So anybody who wants to get in touch with you can just go to your website, trainingresourcegroup.com, and, uh, and reach you through that. There'll be some right. Um, and if they, they would prefer to call, uh, the number is 215, we're in Philadelphia, 320-4650. That's 215-320-4650. Person that runs my office, name is Jamie, and uh, she will direct you to uh, whatever you need. And again, uh, we have lots of online information and uh, can direct you for whatever you need. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really got a lot out of this. I think my audience will as well. Um, and I really appreciate your offer to talk to anybody who's looking for further information or even to provide them with the two-hour workshop. What, what are the workshops on? Well, the, the workshops are primarily on um, the process that we just talked about of uh, everything from how do we get in front of more people to some of the workshops may be hiring workshops, uh, depending on your area. Uh, certainly workshops on how to close the business and um, generally um, how to create those relationships um, so it makes the whole process a lot easier. Okay, so there's different topics. Different topics. Um, and again, what we would do is put you in touch uh, with your local folks 
and uh, they would give you a schedule, and you would pick out something to sit in on. Um, sometimes they have general topics uh, which are open to the public, and they have people come in. But again, it would uh, that initial workshop certainly there would be no charge for it. Typically two hours, um, and the whole idea is to see whether it makes sense, and hopefully get something out of it. Great. Okay. Uh, well, Chuck, thank you so much. I really appreciate your sharing your expertise with us, and um, and for the offer that you gave us as well. Uh, I do want to let everybody know about our workshop, our show next month. We will hear from Rick Simmons, who is known as the Digital Marketing Guru. That will be on September 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Rick is head of Simmons Online Solutions and works closely with small to mid-sized organizations that need help with their internet marketing. He's got 30-plus years in sales and marketing, and not only is he intimately knowledgeable about Internet marketing, he's also good at explaining what to do and how to do it. Rick is going to talk about Internet marketing strategies you should be considering for 2016. What's hot that you want to keep in mind for your strategic plan for next year? So join us on September 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Chuck, thanks again. And um, we really enjoyed having your presentation today. So, Judy, thank you very much. And a quick plug uh, for Rick. I've known him for years, and he truly is an expert at what he does, and I think uh, everybody will enjoy it. Excellent. Thanks again. Thank you.